Welcome. I oh, didn't wow. Have any, I didn't have any nice ciders today, so. Well, I ran out completely. <laughs> and some shitty-ass vodka. Oh, there you go. I, nor- I normally save the Black Russians for special occasions, but uh, I guess episode one, take oh. two, is <laughs> yes. kind of a special occasion. Yeah. Episode 0.5. Let's hope that it works out. Uh, yeah, so I, I have a cup of coffee today because I ran out of all of the liquor in my house last week and meant to go shopping and didn't. So there's Caffeine what's what. Caffeine is something you can be under the influence of. That's true. You That's had true. one job, Telson. It's in the show title. Oh, I know, right? How you been under the, I'm under the uh, under the influence of a, of a round of golf yesterday. Day before yesterday? What's today? Sunday? Sunday, right? Mm. I golfed on Friday because the course opened. And, how was and it? I was reminded that I am no longer 18 because I still hurt. <laughs> it's funny how you have to remind yourself that every year. Oh, man. Every day. Every day I wake up and I think, oh, I'll just go for a run. Why do my feet hurt? Why do my knees hurt? Why does my everything hurt? Yeah. Gray in the beard, I guess. So <laughs> what have you been up to? Well. I'm sure you've heard, but the Toronto Maple Leafs have won a playoff round for the first time in 19 years. It's 2004. And I have to say, it's funny, right? Like, I'm a diehard Leafs fan. Yeah. I've watched the last one in 2004, and I've watched every attempt since. It happened last night, and it was surreal. Like, <laughs> enjoyed the shit out of it was up like till one, two in the morning, even just looking at my Twitter feed, looking at people celebrating downtown Toronto. You know, it was all very like tasteful. We're not talking Vancouver riots in 2011 kind of shit. Like it was, you know, people who, just. Who can afford to do that catharsis, these days? You know, like the curse is off not only the back of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but their fans, the people that have suffered and stuck with it for as long as they have. But then I had a moment when I woke up this morning and I was like, did that actually happen? <laughs> did I dream it? I must have been dreaming about some adjacent shit because I was questioning myself in the morning and I had to get up. I had to look at my news feed, make sure <laughs> everything that I'd thought happened because that would have sucked. Yeah. Could you imagine dreaming that the Toronto Maple Leafs finally <sighs> did something? only to find out that you were dreaming and they still suck and I, are cursed. Here, here's the funny thing. I haven't followed hockey since Gretzky left Edmonton. I think I've told you that before. Um, and I was never like a really big diehard fan. Like I'll watch, you know, the Stanley Cup or the playoffs if Toronto's playing. Um, so it, this, this has sort of cued me to, to find a place to watch hockey. I'm, I'm thinking actually there's a sports bar like literally across the parking lot from where I live. So I, I might just head down there you know, whenever hockey is happening. Is hockey night in Canada still a thing? It is. It's not strictly speaking a CBC thing right now. It's a production that's put on by Roger. CBC still broadcasts it. It's not what it used to be. Yeah, well, it never is. But, I mean, like, I I just haven't. I think I, I watched in 2004 because I remember being, uh, like, impressed by the fact that it's the end of the second period and these guys are still playing. Um, cause up until that point, I mean, like the joke was first period and then they just kind of go, Meh. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like the thing is, is like as I say, I haven't followed it really closely, but the Leafs haven't ever really sucked. They've just always been not quite good enough. Yes. And with the way the league works, with how the, the draft works and, and prioritizing that, that's the worst place to be, right? Like that muddy middle where you don't qualify for the dance and you're not so bad that you're benefiting from being bad and earning you know, good cracks at a top pick. Um, now, the Leafs had one year where it was very clear that that's what they were doing. They happened to win the lottery once. And then they've had since then you know, half a dozen years of utter futility in which they qualify for the playoffs. Not necessarily favored to win. There's been a couple of seasons where they were, and then like the 18 wheeler just drives right off the cliff. And yeah, like sometimes you're just like, it's a curse, you know? Like there's no other explanation for this. The odds are so statistically overwhelmingly against this ever happening. And they still find a way. Well, you know, like the Cubs ended their drought, which was what, 104 years? Um, and I actually thought when I, when that happened, I actually thought to myself, first of all, um, back to the future predicted it down to the year, which is hilarious, you know, just a coincidence, but still hilarious. Um, but I thought to myself, well, it must be like, who has the longest standing drought now? And it's gotta be the Leafs, right? Cause I mean, 67 was the last time anything good happened and it's yeah. not, it's not, there's a couple of NFL teams that have never won. Um, and there was someone else too. There's a, there's a couple of sort of, uh, like secondary type leagues stuff where, where people are still over, over like they're over a hundred years now. Cause when, when the Cubs won, it was at like 96 or 97 years. So anyway, yeah. We're not so actually ha- a sports podcast. Just, oh, to, God, just no. to make it clear. It's, this is a once in a lifetime experience for me. <laughs> I am one of the few nerds that is also a, a, I wouldn't say a big sports fan in the general sense. I'm a Leafs fan. I'm a hockey fan, a Leafs fan. No, no, you're a Leafs fan. You're not a hockey fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you had something you wanted to get into. I I did. I have two things, actually. The first of all is I got I have to say that I'm also a Leafs fan. I'm not a big fan of hockey. Um, I made homemade lasagna today from scratch. Like I made my own noodles and Oh yeah. Like I started from raw tomatoes and egg and flour and I made the noodles and I cooked the noodles and I made a vegetarian lasagna and it was absolutely delicious. I, I had nice. no idea. Now, I have no idea. Now you say noodles, noodles. Last I... Yeah. We, we're not exactly keto. Um, okay. This was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we were trying to go like, we're, we're trying to lower our carb intake from sort of the standard um, mm-hmm. so like noodles are a once a week thing as opposed to like every night. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, like, I, I found, Hey, vegetarian lasagna. I would really like to make my own noodles. I'm going to try it. It's, it's going to be like this big production. And it's literally like make a mound of flour, put an egg in it, mix it up, go let it sit for half so an hour, roll it out. Not neither do you or your wife are vegetarians. So why vegetarian nope. lasagna? Um, just to try it. Just to see, yeah. um, it, it would uh, it would probably be um, improved by putting meat in it, or you know, beyond meat, or whatever you wanted mm-hmm. to do. The other thing is, yeah, because in might. Been... Sorry, ahead. go ahead. I uh, we we have some serious lag issues going on. Boobies. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I was just going to say in my head, uh, veg- uh, vegetarian lasagna is like up there with non-alcoholic beer. It almost defeats the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, it depends on sort of what level of vegetarian you are, right? Like I am not a level five vegan. I don't pocket mulch. Uh, so like there was, we put, I put cottage cheese in it. Um, there was mozzarella and, and Parmesan on top. Um, but just like lots of vegetables. And part of the reason was, is that I, I have been watching some research about it's, it's really funny. This was like absolutely not in the list of topics to talk about, but it's interesting nonetheless. I've been uh, paying attention to a little bit of research from, uh, oh my, I cannot remember where, I think he's out of the UK somewhere, but they've been doing studies. Uh, they did studies on twins and, and like one twin has this kind of diet and the other twin has, twin has that kind of diet and sort of like what kind of health situation are they in and there's a large amount of not quite anecdotal evidence, but not exactly, you know, 100% backed by statistical science that says the larger the amount and variety of vegetable matter you eat, the healthier you are. So it's not about like not eating meat. It's about just eating more and more different kinds of vegetables. I mean, that makes sense. Doesn't it? You know, I, I, we grew up learning that you know you should eat your veggies and i'm sure that that was for a reason and i know there are you know specifically speaking eating too much meat carries its own health risks especially yeah. red meats yep especially awful mm. yeah but so. if it was good i guess you know that's all that matters yeah so it's just it's about a way of you know making vegetables a little bit more interesting it was less work than i expected too like i was expecting to be you know laboring for hours and it was some work like don't get me wrong making your own noodles is intense but mm-hmm. i mean i started cooking at ten thirty, and we ate at one so that's not too bad yeah and i mean i took i took several breaks to go and and run a, a regular rift in diablo so you know, it's not like I was working the whole time. It was like 15 minutes of work, a half an hour of sitting around waiting for something to cook. With the exception of, of the veggies, which Cindy cooked. So, or sorry, not the veggies, the, the noodles. Because, mm-hmm. you know, delicate process, probably not my forte. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the thing that I actually wanted to talk about is, uh, I don't know, I feel like it should go on slash R, I'm 14, and this is deep. But it like <laughs> I wanted to talk about why we feel the need to name everything, why everything has to go into a bucket, you know, why, you, you know, and the, the simple analogy is the tomato, right? Like it's, it's a fruit based on mm-hmm. how we define fruits. But at the same time, like you don't put it in a fruit salad, we use it like a vegetable, right? Like, you know, we put it in spaghetti sauce, for example. You probably wouldn't put peaches in a spaghetti sauce. I mean, you might. It might be good. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, like, where and how do we come up with the idea of who is responsible for choosing the names of things? And more importantly, why does it matter? Right? And it's the sort of serious side of that is that we do that with people. Right. We we choose a characteristic of people and then say, you are this, you know, 
a color, a race, a creed, a sex, and say, this is what you're like based on that one characteristic. Mm-hmm. And it's almost always wrong. It well, is. maybe not almost always, but frequently enough. It's infrequently factually wrong, often ethically wrong, based on how that information is used. Once you've sort of established those, the nomenclature right now, you categorize things. Yeah. Well, you get into all kinds of weird things about, like, because nobody is 100% anything. No, of really. course not. So, right. Like, so how do you decide which bucket? Yeah. And I, I know I've recommended listening to Dan Carlin before. Uh, to That's you. the hardcore history? Yeah. Yeah. And he recently did, uh, I can't remember if it was in his addendum feed. I think it might have been. Uh, he recently did something about the idea of nationalities and, and heritages and stuff, right? And when you look at like the entire span of human history, at least anatomically modern human history, you're going back hundreds of thousands of years. Let's just pick 300,000 for a nice round number. And when we think about going back and looking at our heritages, which sort of nationalities uh, we descended from, which, which groups of people, ethnicity, we're thinking back hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years, 2000 years kind of tops, you know, Biblical times, maybe even a little bit before for those really old ethnicities. But the reality is, is that represents such a small sliver, not even in just geologic time, right? But in the time that that anatomically modern humans have been here, moving around the planet, forming groups, forming other groups, joining other groups, that to sort of arbitrarily pick that cutoff of, well, this is sort of where recorded history starts and i guess that makes these ethnicities these nation states these names these words uh-huh. important because uh, well okay so two <laughs> things this is a little bit to unpack there but there's two things yeah, number yeah. one i do th- i do think that having an like whatever your identity is whether it's like you know you know because Quite frankly, we're both Canadian, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we can go back thousands of years as Canadians. Maybe you can. I can't. Um, you know, like my my grandparents on both sides immigrated to Canada in like the early-ish 1900s. Um, so we've been here like 100 years, my family. Mm-hmm. And like I still and, – and I still do sort of like – speaking personally, go back and go, okay, like most of my family is from like England and Ireland and Germany, which like doesn't make me English or Irish or German. And that sort of gets me into my other point. It is sort of important to recognize that some people have an identity that they go, this is who I am. And and that's, you know, that's, that's not really what I'm getting at. Um, The other thing is, is that it's even more arbitrary than the idea of like what time cutoff do we use? Because Mm -hmm. we have this idea about, you know, hey, hundreds of years ago, people lived in a village. They never left their village. And that's absolute horseshit. Like people traveled around all over the place. Right. And especially if you consider sort of my genetic background from England and Ireland and Germany, like those are places that were invaded frequently 
So I guarantee you that if I, I some of my family have done the 43andMe type thing. I haven't bothered because mm-hmm. I'm not not all that bothered about giving somebody money to tell me who I am. I am who I am and that's it. Um, but they were all expecting it to come back, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it comes back, you know, like 2% Spanish and 1% this and some percent that and some percent the other thing. And there's stuff from East Asia, right? Like you think about the landmass that is Europe. We think, or we're sort of taught, this is Europe, but um, Europe is connected to Russia and China and India, you know, and all of all of the sort of, you know, sort of uh, Northern Asian, Southern Asian, Eastern Asian countries by land. And a certain percentage of, of human people get wanderlust and just go, you know what, I'm going to go that way. And they just walk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that human beings, you know, in the far past were horny too. So chances are babies were made from cross continents. Absolutely. So, and it's funny that you you mentioned the, the genetic profiling, like the 23andMe stuff, because that is how uh, if I recall correctly, Dan Carlin kicked off his episode about this. Oh, is okay. like back before sort of Ancestry.com in the early days of that stuff, he'd received uh, one of those as a gift and opted to kind of go through and do it and then got back sort of a dissatisfying answer based uh-huh. on what he was expecting to get. But after, you know, decades since then, uh, it's really forced him to to rethink a lot of things. Well, and part of, I guess part of it for me is, is that like all of that doesn't matter, right? Like it's not, it's important to, to have an identity of who you are, but I think it's important to, to, and to sort of tie it back to like the Leafs, right? The Leafs are from Toronto. How many of the players who play for the Toronto Maple Leafs grew up in Toronto? Because of the popularity of hockey and Canada and and in Ontario specifically being sort of the highest population center of the country relative to other teams a surprising number yeah, yeah but still it's not but all of still, them still no 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 I, not even a majority right yeah and that's and that's kind of my point is that like just because you know you know like you you identify as you know, Irish doesn't mean that you're, you should, you should identify more with, like, I don't know. I, I, th- I just find the idea, especially, you know, with news coming from the South about like hyper-nationalism really taking off and, and you know, like national pride. And I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't we kind of be worried about our species first, you know, make sure that the planet works for people to live on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm not a scientist. So let me get that disclaimer out there. Um, but you are a scienceologist. Yes. I'm a fan of science as much as I'm a fan of history. So I'm going to make some wild speculations here that may or may not reflect anything resembling truth. I would imagine that if you look at us, human beings, probably even sort of earlier human races, um, we certainly see it in, in other species today. So it makes sense that it would have evolved and, and developed in, in some of our ancestral races, but uh, our ancestral species, I should say. I think of things uh, like, I'll, I'll go back even you know further. Let's talk about life in general. I think about life in general as almost like a chemical inevitability, 
right? Like you create an environment where chemical reactions can happen. Those reactions are going to eventually, over time, grow more and more complex to the point where you have something capable of replicating itself. That process evolves and evolves to the point where you end up with the basics of life. You know, I believe that there's life out there somewhere else. I don't think it necessarily is advanced multicellular life. I don't think necessarily that it is, you know, intelligent life in the way that we would define it. I mean, that's a possibility. But I think in the chemistry of the universe, life is an inevitability that probably doesn't just happen once. Now, thinking about our own evolution, I think that as certain evolutionary traits develop that have evolutionary advantages, we have to live with the consequences of those I don't want to use the term decisions, but those those forks oh. in the road that have happened, ah. right? So, you know, the developing of a, a primitive brain that is then capable of primitive pattern recognition. Like that forms the the sort of basis for categorization of stimuli, right? The things I see, the things I hear, how do I organize them into things so that I can make sense of them? And you know, over a long enough period of time, uh, further evolution, uh, enhancements of those traits, selective pressures, which which really hone those traits into to very specific things, you end up with where we are now. Uh, now, we don't have the same selective pressures, uh, evolutionary kind of environmental pressures uh, that we would have had back then. We have some. But we have, you know, we're still the tools that we were honed by nature to be. And things like pattern recognition, you know, the cognition and, and uh, things that drive categorization of things, grouping similar things so that you can take mental shortcuts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's uh, things that slither are dangerous. Now, not all snakes are venomous but you know a lot of people most of them like are snakes. poisonous though yeah you know and 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 that has been a, a a driver of our survival as a species and you know now we're not walking around in in dense forests and jungles stepping on snakes every day but those people same are still freaked out by snakes well yeah and those same mechanisms you know that 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 lead to us reacting to things like snakes in a certain way, or, you know, having involuntary sort of responses to the smell of like rancid meat or something like that. Like those are still in here, you know, and mm -hmm. our brains just do what they will with it. So I think that's the big driver of, of categorization the the need to name things the need to group things based on some arbitrary similarity you know to go back to your tomato fruit thing mm -hmm. you know the question is tomato a vegetable or a fruit depends on whom you ask and that's kind of the point that i'm that mm -hmm. like that's sort of the the meta narrative that i was i was thinking about was yeah absolutely i we're definitely driven by our experiences to put things into boxes mm -hmm. I guess, and it, it also makes it much easier to communicate things in a, a, a timely fashion. Like you wouldn't want to, de if you're going to describe somebody, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't you don't start with like you know this is their genetic makeup or you know this this is their name. This is what their fingernails look like. Like you you give a physical description, and that sort of narrows things down until you get to an individual. But uh, I guess the the sort of one level up of that is that. Uh, describing uh, to use the tomato, describing it as a fruit or a vegetable, really, in so, in a lot of circumstances, isn't helpful, right? Like it's it's a tomato. Who cares if it's a fruit or a vegetable? Chop it up and put it in your salad, but not your fruit salad, right? So, well, why wouldn't you put it in your fruit salad if you don't care if it's? A well, fruit I or do. Vegetable? I I do. I well, that's just the thing. Is that I don't care whether we call it a fruit or a vegetable. You can call it meat if you want to, right? My point is, is that the individual thing is the individual thing, and it's a handy, it's a handy mental shortcut or a handy shortcut of communication to say, you know, like you bring me a tomato, right? But you wouldn't say, you know, bring me any random fruit because you would probably not get what you wanted. Um, but it's the, the sort of thing I'm trying to drive at, I guess, is that calling a tomato a fruit doesn't tell you everything that you need to know about it. And especially, you know, today we have far too many things to keep track of. Like there's just way too much information flying past us. And those shorthands often do us a disservice in actually trying to understand the truth of things. So you know, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example that isn't like super offensive to somebody and mm-hmm. I don't have any, and that's the point. That's the absolute, that's the point I'm trying to get at is that when you try and describe something, when you look at headlines, right, the descriptions of people are like, why did you go with that? Right? Like, why did you sort of describe that person that way? And why does it matter? Mm-hmm. So I think the interesting way of exploring this from from my perspective is, I mean, I understand how and why we categorize things. And I agree that everything's fuzzy and, and often those sort of categorizations aren't super helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, if you look at some of the like uh, 1970s, 1980s food guide stuff, even though scientifically we categorize tomato as a fruit, it falls into the vegetable group for the the purpose of um, nutrition guides and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's why I say it depends on whom you ask. Depends what on your I perspective. Find, absolutely. Now, what I find interesting is, as as humans, we are are capable of so many things. So this need to categorize and this need to tribalize things. Mm-hmm when you put them together, I find particularly interesting. It's certainly not helpful. And the obvious things that comes to my mind is the categorization of the celestial body in our solar system named Pluto. For a very long time, it was referred to as a planet. And then in the past 20 years or so, it was recategorized based on sort of scientific It didn't fit on somebody's spreadsheet is what happened. Right. Characteristics that, you know, they, they needed to, to, to define. Well, now that we know that there's a lot of shit up there, 
What do we mean when we say the word planet? What do we mean when we say something else, like a moon or a star or a dwarf planet or something like that? And I don't need to get into the the, the nitty gritty of, of why they decided to go, you know, demote Pluto from planet. I mean, I agree with it scientifically. But what I find interesting is the amount of people that were personally, personally attacked and yeah. offended <laughs> Right. Like they've now formed a tribe behind, you know, Pluto's a planet. Yep. And somebody saying otherwise about something that is completely insignificant, like Pluto being a planet versus aside from maybe some textbooks that are out of date, you know, planet, dwarf planet. Like what impact does it have on your daily life? Absolutely none. None. So I find it, you know, another evolutionary sort of inevitability or tribalism based on sort of forming communities and families uh, and and its impact on on increased survival and stuff has led us to a point where we we become sports fans like i become a toronto maple leafs fan i'm part of that tribe uh, and you know if you're a sens fan or a habs fan like screw you (laughs) like yeah we're at war now (laughs) yeah but that's and then this is the weird thing that i find right is that like in any one of those sort of self-appointed tribal associations, right? Because you chose Mm -hmm. to be a Maple Leafs fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I did too. And I largely, it's funny because I was actually living in Saskatchewan uh, when I was a kid. And the reason that I chose the Maple Leafs is because Toronto is my dad's hometown, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, I'm just obsessed with everything Toronto. Toronto looks so awesome. Toronto's amazing. And then I went there and realized, "Mm, not as much. Um, (laughs) But uh, like, Yes. So it's, there's a, there's a couple of things in there. The, the, we sort of appoint ourselves to a tribe, say, these are all of my people and everyone who believes differently is, is wrong and a terrible person. And that, that kind of sums it up is that, right? Like I'm I'm a Maple Leafs fan too, kind of, like I said, I don't really follow hockey anymore. Um, But if somebody asked me like, what team are you cheering for? It's like, well, it's the Maple Leafs and, if they're not playing, then I'm not watching. Um, but like, if somebody says, "Oh, well, I'm you know I'm a, a Sens fan," um, okay, it's a perfectly valid choice. Like, you do you. We don't need mm-hmm. to be enemies. We're not enemies, right? Like, we might be competitors, but we're not enemies. Um, but it's and, funny but, but you say that. The, like, that makes absolutely logical sense. Hey, and it you've does. chosen to be a fan or a fanatic about yeah. something different than me. But the reality is, is there's a significant part of the population, our species, that doesn't just say, hey, they go I'm, over the top. I'm a part of a trivial tribe, right? Like this is this is a, a, a funsies, don't take it too seriously tribe. And yeah, oh, sense fans, you know, screw you guys. But I mean, you don't I mean, have to, you know, I, I don't want this to turn into a political debate, but like you just. You don't even have to look south of the border. You you can look oh, yeah. north of the border and, and see yep. it in our systems too. Absolutely. Like it's red versus blue, man. It's red versus blue. Us versus others. It's just that's and that's an interesting point, is that like I came to the conclusion a while ago that like there is like good versus evil. Like we're definitely fed a narrative that says like you know, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. But if you look at it, every single faction of anything anywhere 
will tell themselves we are the good guys and they are the bad guys. So it's not so much good versus evil. I mean, you could make an argument that yes, there are um, there are more just motivations and less just motivations, but in any particular circumstance, it's us versus them. And who us is and who them is depends on where you're standing. And I think that if if the larger you know sort of portion of humanity could understand that there would be an awful lot less gestures vaguely at everything. So let's, let's take this out. I actually wanted to get into a conversation, one of these shows about aliens, the idea of them, you know, what would happen if we ever ran into them? Talk about game over, man, game over. (laughs) Talk about things like the Fermi paradox and, and the idea of great filters and whatnot. But, we won't get into that tangent. Yeah, now, you but... need to give me a chance to do some homework before we do that. No, 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 no. But if aliens arrive tomorrow, like in an undeniable, they're just here. You know, let's talk Independence Day. Maybe they're not as hostile as is, you know, is in those movies. But uh, probably aliens not. show up, and we have a new high bar for the meaning of the word other. Does humanity as a species start to look at itself as a common tribe when faced with an ultimate other? Yes and no. I think that based on the experiences that we've had with situations like that in the past, that we would find that the majority of, of humanity would stand together arm in arm and say it's us versus them and us as humans and them as whoever just showed up. But there would be a significant a small but significant portion of the population who would say, well, I'm with them and and we're better than you guys. And I, I think that's, that's sort of the default state of humanity. It's true. <sighs> we should move on to something lighter. It's starting to be yeah. depressing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yes, it is depressing when you, you sort of, you develop this sense of like, predeterminism right like if, if if all of this negativity is tied to sort of evolutionary directions that we have as a species took hundreds of thousands millions of years ago maybe even more i mean the earth um, has only been here for three thousand years man yes yes absolutely. sorry that's just the truth <laughs> slash s the top half of the flat part of earth right <laughs> Oh, yeah, the stuff inside the ring of ice. Yeah. Okay. That's just, <laughs> you got to ask. <laughs> uh, All right. So we've been talking about, um, no, we've kind of got talking about aliens and stuff. So let's take that to the next topic. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about was one of my favorite, and I'm going to use quotation marks here, sci-fi series, Firefly. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. There's been rumors. Um, Are you serious? There has been rumors. I don't know if they're well-founded rumors. Mm. Um, you know, certainly Nathan Fillion has made comments to the effect of, well, if I won the lottery, I would buy the rights to Firefly and, and make a show. Doesn't he already have Go Fuck Yourself money? I mean, he's. He, I love Nathan Fillion. I love him in basically everything he's ever done. I even tried to watch Castle for a while. And I mean, that yeah, got terrible. Castle was actually pretty good up until the last season. Yeah. 
We 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 got to the last season. We literally watched the first episode and went, "Okay, this ended last season." <laughs> it's a good. It was a good place to end it. They got married. Oh, spoilers. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was basically, you know, that the when it was still, will they or won't they? It was good. When they decided was... they did, then. They did it wrong. And I know yeah. we're, 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 you know, tangenting okay. the question, but yes, like we need to do this because it's important. Like castle mm-hmm. is, is cutting edge. You know, this is like, um, you know, modern day nerdism. Um, it would have been fine if yes, they did. And they continued doing the kind of thing that they were doing only now with married bickering while they were doing it. But they tried to do, they got married and now we're going to, Keep them married, but retcon the whole situation. So now that she's a spy and he's got to kind of try and get into her spy life the same way he did into her cop life. Yeah. And that was dumb. And it probably didn't help that I think the actors absolutely loathed each other. Well, they didn't get along. I know that. I mean, that that's well documented. There was there's some, you know, some Hollywood rumors about like they loathed each other. And I don't know if that's the case. I think it's probably just that it's like, you know what? We don't really like each other. Which is fine. But I mean, you can't happens. have you can't have a middle ground like you either love somebody or you hate them. This is a topic for another show. We need to write this down where the internet does not have any kind of scale. It's literally the internet has turned humanity binary. It's either the literal greatest thing that has ever happened or it is the end of the world and there's nothing in between. Like there is literally there is literally nowhere on the internet that you can find somebody saying, meh, it's fine, I guess. It's good enough. It's not great. Yeah. It's not bad. It's fine. Well, that's why we're doing this show because that's my default response to basically everything. <laughs> it's meh. Eh. Whatever. It's good enough. Yeah. There was. There's actually been a couple of movies that we've watched recently that, I, and I can't. I can't bring any up off the top of my head. Where, you know, we watched it and we got to the end of it. And was like, it was okay. It was fine. I'm glad we watched it. I don't think I'd watch it again, but it's fine. You know, and the internet will be like, it's the greatest movie ever made, or it's total shit because this. I don't know. That bugs me. Yeah. So, Firefly. Rumors. So, Firefly. There are rumors, I've heard. Now, some of it is is uh, just, you know, taking quotes and running with it. And some of it is supposed insider rumors that there are people that have actually been exploring the potential for bringing a Firefly show back. So I'd like to do a couple of things. One, talk about whether we think they should or shouldn't. Two, make the assumption that they should or will and discuss how to go about doing it. But before we get into that, um, I assume you're a fan of Firefly. Oh, I I know that you've basically designed your whole D&D character in our campaign (laughs) around Malcolm Reynolds and, and maybe not him specifically as a character but like the kinder gentler on the show yeah. yeah yeah well we'll see how kind and gentle you are when i throw some shit at you oh i mean you throw a mouse in front of me and i'll fuck shit up <laughs> so before we get into to to should they and why and how uh why did you like firefly what made it special to you it was it was kind of unique. Like most shows that I, I get into and enjoy, one of the things that I that I liked about it the most is that 
the characters in the show were not um, and Joss Whedon was very good at this in pretty much everything he did with maybe the exception of Dollhouse uh, where all of the characters had sort of a complex set of motivations um, and it's definitely something that people playing Dungeons and Dragons can take away from because you look at mm-hmm. Jane right Jane is neutral evil a case could be made right he's not really interested in causing chaos and he's not particularly caring about the rules um he does what he does for his own particular reasons and he will go along with his friends as long as that doesn't interfere with his goals um i i kind of um and, and i i kind of fell in love with kaylee right i think i think the whole world did because she mm-hmm. was just the perfect character the um just like the interactions between the characters felt like they resonated like these these are real this is how real people would act um i especially loved like nathan fillion is a fantastic actor i mean watching watching him take this i'm a tough guy but i'm also you know i have feelings and i'm i'm a kind of a big softy on the inside but also i'm not afraid to look silly that was that was a big thing and i think it, it's kind of a, a step forward for uh like one of one of my pet peeves about the world is the, just the the way that we've embraced the idea of toxic masculinity right mm-hmm. men got to be tough and strong and never laugh and never cry and the only the only emotion you're allowed to have is anger mm-hmm. um and this was a character that was like no this is like a fully fleshed out human being yes he has flaws yes he gets angry yes he does stupid things yes he makes mistakes but in general comparison to that you know the obvious comparison is han solo like you know if you were to describe in two sentences those two characters it'd be like you're talking about the same thing you know sort of the roguish archetype blah 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 kind of occasional quip yada 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 but Malcolm Reynolds had a depth to him and, and a yep. depth that was communicated in the span of, you know, six episodes. Yeah. 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 I mean, after the first couple of episodes, you know, you got it. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Serenity, the movie was, was another thing entirely. And, you know, it's a bit of a leap, but uh, it probably would have made more sense if we'd had a lot more Firefly kind of before it. Yeah, well, it also it retconned a few things and, and swapped some things around, and I, and I was okay with that because it's like it's a movie, like it. right? You've got yeah, a, yeah, it was good. So here's one of the things that I like about Firefly, and it's sort of what I like about sci-fi in general. I struggle with sci-fi because sci-fi by itself, I mean, what is it, and why is it entertaining? Well, it's you know, speculative fiction speculative fiction okay and there's certainly more you know quote-unquote harder sci-fis that like i've enjoyed i love the expanse for instance but where sci-fi excels for me is that it is a good vehicle for exploring characters and narratives that you would have a hard time even just suspending your disbelief to explore in a more contemporary setting or even exploring in like a, a historical setting with the, the context of, of everything that you know today. Like there's not a lot of new Westerns being made today, right? 
Yeah. There's probably a good reason for that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you could still do Westerns in a way that, you know, gets rid of some of the baggage, gets some of the, the abject racism and, and horrible things that were prevalent in those times. But you could do Westerns in a way, uh, you know, that could potentially appeal to a modern audience. But I have think, you know, I think the general audience that wasn't a fan of Westerns would still struggle to get into them but slap some sci-fi lipstick on it. You know, you create, a, yeah. you create a world where like the, the premise of it, you know, whether you want to go Western, whether you want to go dystopian, whether you want to go, you know, just weird and crazy. The fact that it's sci-fi and there's that sort of disconnection from my reality makes oh. all sorts of like story arcs and, and narrative arcs and even sort of moral shit much more palatable. You know, you go back to a show like Star Trek: The Next Generation. We'll it's hard the first to watch. season because it was utter terrible trash. It and, wasn't and, trash, and I love it. Was Star it was it was weak. the first season was 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 bad, and most first seasons for Star Trek were pretty bad. But if you strip the sci-fi away from TNG, what are you left with? Oh, it's it's a moral. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a fable, kind of. Uh, yeah, or a. It's a story with a moral at the end of it. Yeah, like you could be watching an episode of Family Ties or Full House or something like that, right? And, yeah. I mean, those shows had their day. But they wouldn't be for me today, you know? But all of a sudden, you you, you slap that sci-fi lipstick on it, dress it in a little Star Trek cosplay, and I'm into it. And And then I find value in the the story that you're really trying to tell, the ideas that you're trying to explore that I would be less receptive to or open to if I wasn't already suspending my disbelief because it's sci-fi. And I think that's one of the things that made Firefly so great because, yes, it was technically sci-fi, but it was... It's a Western. It was a Western. It was, it, was, it was setting itself up to be an interesting sort of political thing. Like the world itself that we really didn't get a chance to explore was, was intriguing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's an some, old trope done well. Yeah. You know, and for some of the, the reasons that I like, uh, uh, the expanse, like firefly was sort of a, like a near future kind of sci-fi. Like I can see how we got from point a being today to point B being, that like you know 10 years from now yeah like not not a big leap yeah. um and yes uh, you know i agree with you on the character thing wholeheartedly you know uh, people uh, ask me like shit like what kind of books do you read and i often go back to you know I, I mean i'm not reading as much as i should anymore but some of the stuff that i hold most dear is some of the stuff i read in my youth that it's like juvenile and and linear yeah. formulaic garbage Yep. Uh, you know, David Eddings, uh, my favorite author. He's he's not a good author. His books are not great. But like Firefly, his characters had a certain thing about them where they were they were tropes. You lean into the tropes and then you give them nuance, right? Le yeah, you lean in hard. Yeah. And his characters in, in his early fantasy stuff, Belgariad, Malorian, Elenium and Tumali series, did that in a way that the Firefly the writing did 
you know, the characters and the fleshing of those out did with me. Now, the question, you know, uh, about Firefly is it's like the reverse Star Trek, where a Star Trek show usually started out bad, found the, the, the show in seasons two, seasons three, and then wrote it about as far as they could ride it. So to answer, should we make a new Firefly? The question is, do you think Firefly would have continued to be as good as it was if it had had two, three, maybe even four seasons? Two or three, I think so. Uh, I don't think it would have been good to carry it much beyond that without without changing something. And that sort of leads me into, first of all, I'd like to make a comment. The one thing that Firefly did that no other show before or since, you know, go ahead and send some email to tell me why I'm wrong, uh, is they made a plausible reason why every single planet looks like Southern California. I have like I've literally never seen that before. Every other time, yeah. it's like, well, there's Southern California. Isn't it amazing how much Mexico looks like Southern California? And of course it does. But isn't it amazing how much Spain looks like Southern California? Hey, wow, look, we're in the south of England. It looks a lot like Southern California, you know. Mm -hmm. And in Firefly, it was just like, okay, yeah, they're terraforming the planet. It looks like Southern California. That's perfectly reasonable. I um, mean, so should we bring it back uh, in its like bring it back exactly as it was? No, absolutely not. I think it would it would ruin the magic of of what we've already got. Uh, but I could see there's also there's there's a little bit of baggage there with you know some accusations that came out about Joss Whedon, and I'm not sure that mm -hmm. as many people would would get behind it as have done before, uh, including myself. But mm -hmm. I mean, the, like the the world has promise, the uh, the stories and the characters. It would be kind of neat actually to do something. Uh, a little bit like what they did going back with the, the sort of spin-off Star Wars stuff. Um, done better, of course, because some of this, the spin-off Star Wars stuff is... Mm. Uh, but if, if you did something where it's like, okay, these are stories that are obviously set in these places, and rather than, hey, let's go back to the same four planets that they did uh, on the Firefly series. There was also uh, an interesting thing that they did where there was an explanation of why there weren't like a million planets. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a, that's a problem that comes up a lot with star Wars. Is it like, Hey, we, we've, we've, we know that there are thousands upon thousands of planets. Why is every story set on Tatooine? Mm -hmm. Like they shouldn't all be set in the same place. Oh, Hey, look, here's Luke Skywalker again. We, you know him, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I so, think Firefly lends itself well to doing that. Not just because of, of sort of, the world that they created but also it's an unfinished world like you know yeah. the problem with star wars is we've already saved the galaxy yeah you know so tell what us do you, what tell do you us do a different there? story well there's here's the thing is that there's so <laughs> getting you know sidetracked onto star wars uh one of the things uh, that i would like to see if firefly came back was rather than hey it's the story of you know of serenity flying from planet to planet trying to make it a, you know something of itself it should be somebody else doing something else in that setting and you know occasionally either interacting or crossing over a little bit like rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead mm -hmm. like it would be interesting to see something like that in the firefly universe yeah there's and i'm not i think that's the best way to do it i'm not sure no. it's the way that like anybody would pay for doing it no absolutely you know, not. especially if nathan fillion's involved like i don't think people would be would, happy like, with you... him just being a director producer showrunner kind of thing 
I think it, they they would have to have a whole bunch of cameos from the original cast. Like they would have to have things where like, you know, like every couple of episodes, it's like they're on the planet where um, where River was being burnt as a witch. And they're like they're watching this happen like, oh, my God, yeah. you know, or something That'd be like one that. way to do it. Um, I think if I were making the show, I would be inclined to leave what happened in in the show and and the movie basically alone now i think you'd get a better quality show if you just like another another sort of ensemble cast doing their own thing in that same world um i think what would realistically happen is you have to involve nathan fillion i don't think anybody else from the show is necessary beyond maybe some occasional cameos uh, Ron Glass uh, has passed away, so he can't make it in. You've killed off Alan Tudyk's character, Wash. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, but he did I think a lot on the convention have... circuit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you ever watch Con Man, incidentally? I, I, I watched a couple of episodes. I couldn't okay. get past the guy asking for his autograph under the, the <laughs> bathroom stall. I've watched that five or six times, and every time I'm just like, man... Please tell me this is not real. This is probably a real life story that they're putting on film. Like, leave the man alone. He's trying yeah. to take a shit. At the, at the very least, finish finish the first season. The second season, I mean, it's yeah. it's not required viewing, but the first season was pretty great. Yeah. Um, and and you absolutely believe that most of that stuff is based on an exaggerated oh, yeah. version of shit that's happened. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, getting back to Firefly, I think you could do a show with uh nathan fillion malcolm reynolds as a future version of himself so if you if you set it after serenity right like it's reasonable to suspect that like as much as they left it off and like hey we're we're just kind of continuing our journey and we're gonna you know continue to, to fly about and do our thing it's reasonable to suspect that that crew may not have been able to stay together uh, also, based on what happened in Serenity, I think it's reasonable to suspect that, you know, rather than the Alliance, you know, trying to hunt down River because of what happened in the the movie, uh, that Malcolm Reynolds himself would be very much a wanted man. And he may have chosen to sever ties with his crew for his own protection or for their own protection, rather, at that point. So it would be interesting to explore Malcolm Reynolds after the events of the movie uh, as an older man, you know, age up appropriate to what Nathan Fillion is now with a new crew. Maybe I, I, I like the idea of, of just like, like flipping the whole thing on its head. Like he's not a ship captain anymore. He's now a crime boss. So mm-hmm. he takes over for, oh, what was the guy's name with the bowler hat? Uh, uh, Badger? Badger. So he yeah. takes over that kind of a role, but in a much classier way, where mm. he spends most of his time behind a desk, but every once in a while there's something that happens that he has to go out into the field to fix. Right? Then you could have like a whole new um, you know, group of, of people actually flying multiple ships even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he would he could still be involved in all of them without being the sort of front man of the show. And it also brings in a really easy way uh, to bring in the other cast members as. Oh, sure. As cameos, because it could be like, hey, we need help with this. And like, hey, Kaylee, you're designing ships now or whatever. You know, can you build mm-hmm. me something to do this and and stuff like that? Or like, hey, Zoe, this this person's being a real 
such and such and you're a big time you know assassin for hire now or whatever because like she'd be pretty broken after after wash died right she would be so maybe maybe she's gone like right off the deep end and now she's a, a psychopath for hire i don't know be a whole other so one of the things i wanted to mention though uh, going back in the relationship with star wars and like what do you do they've saved the universe like there is a whole expanded universe of amazing stories out there that they literally just threw in the dumpster mm-hmm. probably for licensing fees but i mean like they're spending billions of dollars per film like sending a hundred million dollars or so to the author of something like timothy zahn's books were really great mm-hmm. um the whole uh the whole arc with um luke and jade you know and them having kids and their kids going off to fight aliens from outside the universe Mm -hmm. right like there were some really good stories there that had a lot of interesting things in them that that brought in like other planets and other ideas rather than hey let's blow up another death star and that's that's the danger i see in in going back to firefly is that Things in Hollywood cost so much money now that everybody who makes these things are a massively risk averse. They're not interested in doing something new. They want to rehash the same. This is the reason why we get the Dukes of Hazard, the A-Team, you know, stuff from the 80s. Remember this? We're going to sell you your own nostalgia. So if they brought Firefly back, they'd probably try and reboot Firefly with all of the exact same things and make the exact same show again. And it would not, like you literally have already let the genie out of the bottle. You cannot do it again. You have to do something different. And that that really is my argument for not bringing it back. Like, I would love for it to come back. I would love for it to have gone three or four seasons for us to have a more complete story arc. I would love to see more of it. I just, I don't think we can. Because whatever we get, it would be okay, but it wouldn't be magical again. So... That's how I feel. All right. You want to move into table talk? Sure. Let's do that. Oh. Oh, wow. Table talk is part of the show where we get to nerd out about things, dice, dungeons, sometimes dragons, share whatever's on our mind related to tabletop gaming telson i heard you say that you have a game tonight i do we are coming back from hiatus i have no idea where it's gonna go i think i mean i talked in the the episode that shall not be aired about uh what we did and me shoving the space princess into the black hole because she lied about something something i don't even remember what my motivations were i'm playing a cat in that game too uh so you know she uh she upset me momentarily and i'm like all right fine and i kicked her into the vortex and she died you know collapse of a a galactic empire because she killed a half a dozen people in my village so given the games tonight it's safe to say you're not rolling new characters it's not a new thing at this point yeah we're continuing on from there so i have no idea where it's gonna go uh same characters same dm same uh you know space pirate type theme did so, you have any sort of like looming sort of overarching stuff that you hadn't explored in that campaign yet? Or I don't think so. I know that we kind of finished up my character's sort of motivation arc, and I don't think that we've done that with the other characters yet. So there's a good chance that we have all of that to explore. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I'll, I'll have something interesting to talk about next week. 
I look Maybe I'll be rolling that. up a, a new uh, new character. Who knows? So we didn't get to have a game this weekend with our group. Um, we had some yeah. family stuff come up. But uh, hopefully we'll be back into it next week. But I did have a game with my other group Tuesday. Uh, and I had to kick it off with the talk. Now, I, I say the in quotation marks here. It was not a big deal. And the reason why I want to talk about this is really to emphasize that like DMs and players should probably like occasionally have a conversation out of character just to sort of hash some shit out. So there's always uh, stuff. There's always stuff. Now, as a as a bit of a preface for this, uh, this game that I've been running has been going on for more than a year now. Uh, a couple of the players were fairly inexperienced. They weren't outright new, but they'd never, uh, they hadn't had an opportunity to stick with a, a full fresh campaign as of yet. The stuff that they'd tried had basically fallen apart after a few sessions. Yeah, the, the story of everybody getting into the hobby. But a few things were happening uh, because there were some new characters. There's, there's some people, players that have uh, very much uh, fallen into D&D through influences like Critical Role, for instance, and, and expectations can sort of be skewed. I'm not, not calling out any of my players. I love every one of them. Um, and I'm certainly not mad, you know, but it was time to have a talk. It had been a year since we had our session zero, and we did have a bit of player turnover very early on. We lost a player. We brought somebody in. So not everybody at my table had even had an opportunity to participate in the session zero. Now, I have game rules sort of set up, table rules in the Discord channel that I ask everybody to read. But especially if you're a new player, like you don't really get what I'm asking for in all of those. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of key things that I, I called attention to. I mean, the TLDR for my table rules is don't be a dick. We're all here to have fun. Everybody gets to have fun and you get to have fun in that order. And that's the key part there. And uh, I keep leveling fairly slow for my groups, but we're now at the point where, where solutions earlier on had to be team solutions, right? We're now at the point where characters are around level eight uh, with this group, where characters are starting to get some, you know, really kick-ass cool shit, depending on uh -huh. your class. But all of a sudden you have potentially individual solutions to a problem rather than team solutions to a problem. And the one thing that, you know, myself included as a DM, we were not great at was trying to allow a player to say, hey, I've got a cool solution to this problem, but play it out in a way that like the rest of the group and everybody was involved in it. You know, it's pretty easy as you get into higher levels for a player to just be like, ah, I got this, guys. You stop playing Dungeons and Dragons for, for 15 minutes while I, I take care of this. And that's just not... It can work. But it has to be done the right way. It has to be done in-game. Hey, guys, I got this. This is what I'm going to do. And then somebody can say, oh, I can help with that, or I can do this. But you have to... And that's the key part. There has yeah, to be yeah. the communication there. You need yep. to allow the other party members to kind of... Even if it's just like, ooh, I'll be a distraction force, you know, and, and go do this yeah. thing. Like, it doesn't need... You know, everybody doesn't need an equal role in every solution. But 
it can easily without you know no malice you're not not intentionally doing this you know i i, I talked how about big is the like, room yeah i talked to that <laughs> exactly <laughs> i talked about things like main character syndrome and everybody kind yeah. of has an idea of what that means and what i was talking about with my group wasn't the big things that people think of when you talk about main character syndrome it was the smaller stuff the stuff that anybody you know, me as a player, oh, yeah. I've done it. Every every player's fallen for it. Where you just don't stop to think, "Hey, I'm having fun," but is everybody else having fun too? You're like a puppy chasing after a ball. You don't think about what am I knocking over? Are there stairs coming up? Am I going to fall over? Is this someone else's ball? You're just like, "Who ball?" Right. You know, yeah. and 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 it's perfectly natural. And uh, the purpose of our conversation was to to just make sure people knew, hey, this is something that can happen, especially as our characters develop more skills, and I should watch for it. And when I have a cool idea that is going to put the spotlight on me, I'm still going to get the opportunity to have the spotlight on me. But, you know, I'm not a one-man band. Yep. And... Uh, the reason why I want to bring this all up is that my players are all receptive to it, right? Like I wasn't being confrontational with them. You know, I'm just like, Hey, some of this is stuff that I'm seeing. Some of this is stuff that I haven't seen yet, but I've seen in other games. Some of it is stuff that I just know that we're going to run into as you continue to level. And if we don't stop and talk about it, because especially because some of you are inexperienced players, or this is your first long campaign. These are traps. Yeah, these are traps that it's, you know, and we'll still fall into them, right? We'll have to to, to push the pause button. Uh, but one thing I did do as part of this was I introduced a new homebrew mechanic. Now, my uh, my party in this game, they, they benefit from one of the characters playing a, a soul knife rogue and, and her psychic bullshit going on. They typically have a group chat, like a psychic telepathic group chat going on. And I think that's a great idea, and it's something that I went out of my way to introduce in our other game, yeah. you know, through some some gobbledygook, whatchamacallit, MacGuffin, that, MacGuffin that does it instead. Yep. But the intention is, hey, you guys have the ability to talk. Take advantage of it. So the homebrew mechanic was, uh, what did I call it, uh, psychic time warp or telepathic time warp or something like that where essentially even if you're in combat you just you're pushing the pause button any character that is connected to this sort of psychic conversation can initiate it and you're in this time warp where time slows down so long as the only thing you're doing is you're discussing stuff as soon as you go to perform an action or ability the time warp ends and i just encouraged my players like don't you know it's not going to bug me as a dungeon master if you guys want to like hatch a plan in the middle of combat right i'm not I mean, i'm not designing combat encounters or or non-combat encounters for the purpose of winning myself like i want you to get through this in a creative way that's how i enjoy the game it's an excellent use of positive metagaming i really like it absolutely and the other thing, speaking of metagaming, the other thing that I did have to talk about with the players, and again, this is something that maybe creeps up more for experienced players uh, rather than inexperienced players, is the idea that another player around the table should know what your character can do. Not just in terms of the abilities that you already have, but the abilities that you're going to gain in the future. Yeah. And that's just, 
unless you've explicitly spoken about it in character or you're teasing things that like, I know that, you know, I'm going to get a teleporter. I'm going to get, you know, the ability to make my entire party fly in a level. So, you know, you guys shouldn't be worried about this thing that's happening right now. Cause like, I'm going to have a solution to it soon. I mean, that's, that's easy to role play into though. Cause all you gotta do right. is, Oh, like we need to be able to fly. I'll start researching that. And then like out of character, when I level up, I'll learn this fly spell. Yeah, exactly. And that's another kind of meta that like you, you're turning what would be a bad meta, the expectation that players should know what your character can and can't and will eventually be able to do and turning it into a role-playing opportunity. Yeah. And my guys were extremely receptive to that. So, uh, you know, again, the point of bringing it up is uh, if you're a dungeon master out there and I'm not an experienced dungeon master, so, you know, take my advice with any good. grain of salt, but don't be afraid to plan time to talk with your players. Don't wait for something to happen where everybody's pissed off at each other and there's drama to then deal with it, right? You can get out in front of some things that you might sense are coming or, or, or you just you got a gut feeling for and redirect that energy into something positive. Your players will be much more re- receptive when you're not pointing a finger at them saying you done oh, fucked up or saying no you can't do that yeah. i saw an interesting thing the other day that was a discussion about like it's a lot of it gets talked about a lot to uh when you're doing role playing to say yes and mm-hmm. right just to give people an opportunity to sort of res- respond or expand or to, to keep talking you know to, to leave things open-ended and I didn't particularly like where that conversation went exactly, but there was an interesting idea that came out of it. And that was, it's, it's also equally valid and probably necessary to sometimes say no, but Mm -hmm. right. So instead of saying like, yes, you can do that, you know, and then what, or whatever, or inviting someone to, to sort of tack onto that, to say, no, you can't do that. But, you know, here's this other thing that you could do, or here's this other idea that you could pursue, or, you know, and and that's that's mostly coming from the DM, right? It's like, no, you can't do that, but, you know, here's another thing that you can do, or here's something that, you know, you should remember from previous role-playing, you know, Yeah, like, generally, I don't think a DM's response should just be no, period. Right, Right? almost Because that's not fun. But I think you you can redirect, like, you know, when a player, whether they're experienced or not, is like, hey, can I do this? You know, often it isn't, their motivation isn't that I want to do this specific thing. Game breaking. I want to accomplish this task. Yeah. Yeah. I want to accomplish something. I want to personally feel like I'm making a difference here for the party. Yes. And it shouldn't be too difficult as a DM to to sort of redirect that energy into something that fits better with the game, with the party. It's it's so often like it's funny that now that we have these sort of online role playing games to to watch the the improvement that I see from people that I've been playing with for quite and, and in my own play as well because mm-hmm. um, there's just like there's different ideas about how to do it because I, I you know I played with the same group of guys for years and years and years right and it was always very much this is how the game is played and having seen the way that some other people do it you you get uh, sort of other options and one of the things that comes up is you know like it used to be everybody was trying to keep their things secret because we were all kind of playing against each other a little bit 
um, and seeing and hearing people talk about rather than say, okay, I want to use this ability and I'm going to roll these dice and this is how that works to say, this is what I would like to accomplish. And here's how I would like to go about doing it. You know, like, Hey, I want to know if this guy is lying. Can I roll an insight check mm-hmm. as opposed to, I roll an insight check to see if he's lying. Right. Which, you know, as the DM might be, well, I mean, you can roll if you want, but you're not going to succeed because you just like you're not going to be able to tell, mm-hmm. you know, because it's important to the story that you not know. Um, yeah, and one of the one of the specifically insight is one of those things that I don't want to say it drives me nuts. It's a it's a thorn in my side. And even <laughs> it's in problematic. your game, no, no, even in your game, and you know, some experienced players there, when when a person is asking to roll insight, my first question back to them is, what is it that you're trying to do, or what are you looking yeah. for? Uh, with yeah. an insight role, you know, if you can can narrate that the role and and you know whatever happens as a result of that role in wrapped up in the context of the character's experiences, right? Yeah. You know, hey, you spent time as a sailor before. You've worked with these types of people. You're used to you know, people being uh, deceptive or, or whatnot in these particular ways. So these are the type of cues that yeah. you're looking for. And, oh, look, you rolled an 18. You know what? Some. This is a, this is right out of the sort of shady pirate playbook, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you've, you've seen this before. You recognize this type of deception. And now it's not, are they lying, yes or no? It's like, do I have reason to be suspicious of this dude? Yeah. As opposed to, well, hey, this is a guy from Wall Street. Yeah, well, I'm a sailor. I have I have no idea. He could right. be telling the truth. He could be lying. I have no context to understand. And I think as a dungeon master, like you can almost turn, like you can connect those dots in, in a lot of circumstances, right? Yeah. So, you know, if it's a person that was a sailor, like that, you know, they, they have to sell their shit eventually. So they're dealing with sort of fences and, and shady people. So, yeah. you know, you can, you can. You can usually find something, but you are going to run into those occasional circumstances where it's like, I'm going to let you roll for this, but you, you got to know idea. in advance, like you're looking at a brick wall here and asking if this brick wall is lying. You know, oh. if you roll extremely well, I'm going to give you something, but it's probably not going to be all that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Nine times out of 10 to like when, when I'm thinking about rolling insider, asking if somebody's lying, it's like, I'm pretty sure this guy is full of shit based on the narration that's happened. And I just want like an, an in-game context. Yeah. Yeah. Like just an in-game context to say, rather than just jumping out and saying, I'm pretty sure this guy's, you know, shady. You're you're a liar. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, those genes make you look fantastic. So, <sighs> All right. so the other thing and a more positive note and, and more actual role playing in character note I got to do is uh, have a pretty cool moment with one of my players. I think I mentioned the last time we talked that I'm sort of borrowing your whole champion thing uh, that you're oh, attempting okay. to do with our one game. Um, and it, it started off just as a sort of an unintentional seed where one of my characters... Um, He's one of the new players and he, he did the thing a lot of new players do where it's just, you know, I'm sort of this, this gruff kind of, kind of soldier barbarian dude or whatever. You know, I don't, I grunt a lot. I don't, don't speak much. He's playing Geralt or Rivia kind of character, right? 
Okay. Which is great to start. And then he realized, oh, shit. You know, like I, I, I need more now. I'm, I'm a more experienced player. I want to flex my role playing muscles a little bit more. Um, one of the things that I'd set up in my world, and it hasn't come up in in our campaign, but it probably will at some point, is that like magic doesn't work the way you expect it to in this world, and neither does resurrection. Oh, death. Um. Essentially, what I did with him is uh, the first time he, he died. Um, now, I need to to preface this with: I killed him because he wanted to be killed. I'd we'd done a little sort of side adventure thing when we were short a player. I actually ran like D and D Mario Kart. It's <laughs> just just a sort of a random thing. Please tell um, me you used the rules from Trash Pandas. No, um, and it isn't entirely original. Um, uh, the Penny Arcade guys with Acquisitions Inc., the C Team, did this. Uh, Mike Krahulik, and um, it was a blast. I I started sort of with what they did and and just kind of made it my own. So it wasn't super original. I just needed something to run while while the player was going to be away for a while. And uh, the idea was they were going to compete in this champions trophy, uh, champions tournament, and they won this champions trophy at the end of it. And the the champions trophy was basically a get out of death free card. Oh, just I knew it was going to be a fairly low magic world, and I was going to keep them sort of in that sweet low to mid level range long enough that they wouldn't have been able to uh, to deal with resurrection on their own. And I'm like, you know what? It wouldn't hurt to have this anyway. Just in case I do something stupid, like, you know, set up an encounter that like, oh, (laughs) oops. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he came to me and said, you know what? I bet nobody else remembers that I've got this thing because it was months ago. Um, You should kill me because like everybody else will freak out about it. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Because it was going to give me an opportunity to uh, to explore some stuff that I wanted to explore. So getting back to the original point, uh, death in my world uh, has some mysteries they haven't explored yet. Maybe it's related to the Church of Valoria. But when he died, his soul was separated from the body. And when the resurrection process happened, and this has now come up a couple of times, I essentially had him roll dice a d100 and depending on the roll result i'd narrated that like he was he was in this sort of like sea of souls and he was competing for other souls for for possession of his own body oh so he rolled reasonably no low but not too too low like i don't want this to be punishing but the, the the way the setup for this worked is that he he gained control of his own body but it was close alone. and there was something else that just got in there. All of me. Yeah. Now it was particularly, <laughs> it was great for this, the way it worked out for this character, because he hit that point where he's like, man, I, I really want more out of my character now. And I realize I've just kind of painted myself into this corner. Can we do something with this soul thing? Cause I'd always left it as like, Hey, I'm not going to push this based on the way you ruled. Like this is here. It's, it's flavor at this point. If you want to do something, we'll do something with it. Like if you want to want to get weird with it. And then I hit a point, this would be maybe about four months ago now. And 
in my campaign where we wrapped up a major arc and the party essentially it was sort of a werewolfy like like lycanthropy type situation uh-huh. where uh, multiple party members contracted it just through combat and stuff it had been sort of a, a, a thing they'd been doing and they realized hey this could be a boon for us you know like there's advantages to this and then the rest of the party was like i'm gonna take that on willingly oh i played it up like survival isn't guaranteed you know the first full moon was going to be this big thing and the way i set it up with my players was that look you've been playing for eight months some of you are new players I already know some of you want a little bit more out of your character. So here's an opportunity where you can either make the decision to be like, I want to do a new character at this point. This one can die. Mm-hmm. There's there's a built-in mechanism for that. Or if you just want to make some changes to your character based on the fact that this crazy transformation is happening, whether that's just doing maybe some multi-classing or a different dip or whatever. Uh, the way this guy sort of played it up was that this other soul that was inside him uh, was a warlock and had a patron. Oh, he'd actually. Uh, we ran a one shot. Uh, our group, uh, a couple people from from our group. Uh, one of those one shot weekends that I tried to do. He just he spun up a random uh, hexblade warlock, just you know, as a throwaway character. And he's like, "Well, what if I basically took that character and, and made it the soul that has been kind of co residing oh. in my body?" And that person has a patron. Uh, so I recently took my players uh, going from this sort of low magic kind of weird sort of post-apocalyptic world, not post-apocalyptic in tone, but sort of yeah, functionally speaking, an apocalypse happened, magic, gods, all of those things sort of disappeared. And this is sort of what's left afterwards. And I've thrown them into the Feywild. Uh, it had some some ties to the backstory of one character. I managed to wrap another character's sort of backstory and motivation into uh, a missing brother. Disappeared on this island, uh, Evermeet, Green Isle. I had kind of be this like lost type island that like in my world, it doesn't exist. But like there's rumors of an island randomly appearing out in the middle of the sea. And, you know. By the time anybody goes to confirm it, it's gone, and everybody just thinks it's you know sailors being sailors and tall tales and what. It's a turtle. Yeah, it's turtles all the way down. (laughs) So they followed up on it. The island appeared. They go to the Feywild, and all of a sudden they're thrown in a sort of a very high magic sort of setting. Now it's not. It's not the Feywild. I'm not running official material. And, and what I'm doing is actually sort of an amalgamation of uh, the Feywild and the Shadowfell. There's some sort of convergence happening. But it was at this time that the patron for the, the, the soul inside this guy basically pulled him and the, the other soul aside and said, look, the shit that's going on, it's interfering with my own agenda. And one of you has already failed me. Two of you better not fail me. <laughs> so he became this this champion of like this really dark sort of like I'm I'm I haven't fleshed it out yet, but I'm envisioning it being more of like a kind of a Cthulhu esque kind of like old one style thing. And that was sort of the the, the impetus for doing this champion thing. Um. 
another player who who plays a druid so this is not a a reach by any means who was from the Feywild and and Evermeet and is now just coming back to it because it's the first time she's been able to um she's kind of become a, a champion of nature now i didn't have any logical sort of uh connections to make with some of the other players so the the next champion that i came up with and the one that this whole long spiel is about uh <laughs> context for is uh there is a particular i don't know if it's like a it's a popular thing in in like the 5e version of the Feywild. There was a Hexblade Warlock patron in, I think, 4th edition called the Lady of the White Well. And it is sort of a, a like a Feywild Dungeons and Dragons take on the Arthurian Lady of the Lake. Sort of. Steal from the best. Yeah. She was a, 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 a character who had been born as a result of like deception and infidelity by some very, very like powerful important ancient people you know like god of the elves level shit okay and because of some some shit that went down it involved like lolf or something i don't know i'm not i'm not really borrowing any of that but she's been since the time she was a baby essentially exiled and bound to this lake this sort of glowing white lunar lake kind of thing in search of love and a champion oh now this woman would be more ancient than most of what people would think of as being like you know high level npcs involving the feywild like the uh the whole seely unseely court kind of stuff like that's all happened long after this this lady of the white well existed the leader of the 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 Seelie Court and Summer Court, uh, Court of Stars, like, as a child, she would have gone and visited this Lady of White Well. Oh. So incredibly ancient. We'll see how powerful she is. But the general idea is that I wanted to get weird with it in choosing your champion. She, the character uh, that I, I gave the option to serve as her champion is a... It's a funny character, like just the, the way it's played out with him uh, and the way Vicky sort of played him out. Uh, Trip is a a Sylvan. Uh, he's sort of some of the lycanthropy stuff, uh, a sort of multi-class of a, a bard and uh, the Matt Mercer blood hunter uh, okay. class. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Uh, the history of this character was that, like, he was sailor turned werewolf, worked in brothels, like, you know, very, very, like, open about being, I was a prostitute slash escort kind of thing, and, and has played that out in a, like, almost a non-literal way, sort of, like, this is just the shit I did, I don't talk about it too often, you know, I'm not embarrassed by it. You know, they don't play their character as like overly sexual, quite the opposite, like super um, almost awkward when it comes to like themes of romance and stuff like that. And we've had an opportunity to explore it a little bit. And for anybody out there, if you're a DM, if you're going to explore anything like this, sexuality, romance, stuff like that, talk to your players first, make sure you're doing it with permission, make uh -huh. sure they're in on it. Yeah. They were in on it. You know, when the player comes to you and says, yeah, I was a prostitute, 
like in a past life, you yeah, basically that's... have to have that conversation right away and like, okay, so what themes are you comfortable talking about here related to your character's story? What are you comfortable exploring? And it's turned out to like not matter too much because the character, the way it's played out is like when it really gets into like a socially sort of tense situation, they they start fumbling and stumbling all over themselves. Like, you know, the, the character has developed a bit of a crush on one of the other player characters. And oh. it's turned into kind of not a, not an outright love triangle. Cause I don't think any of them will actually ever explore a romance between characters out of it. That can be, but there's awkward. been, there's been some minor jealousies because of, of, some stuff that the the player, the object of this character's crush has had to do with another player just to like, you know, role play out. Oh, well, God, we're pretending to be at this sort of weird, like dinner party kind of thing. And we're playing husband and wife, you know, and they've been put oh. in a situation where they've had to sort of socially, like be convincing about being husband and wife while this other characters sort of watched from the sidelines and, you know, in character developed this little bit of a jealousy. Anyway, way back in this character's first session, they joined us late to the party. I introduced a, a magic book that, you know, it really did nothing except like it had some writing on the side. They couldn't open it, uh, but there was like a, a glyph that almost like winked at them, just took a special interest in them. They took the book and it, you know, where it gets weird is that like I've played it up like this book has been watching this player's character sleep and, and you know, it's almost <laughs> like a pet. Uh huh. So, as part of this champion thing, I've decided to run with it, and it's turned out this book was somehow tied to this lady that is basically tied to this well in the Feywild and has been searching for a champion. And this is one of the ways that she's done it. And finally, uh, Trip, along with the rest of the party, show up at the shores of this white well, sort of a big glowing lunar lake kind of thing. And it turns into a scene basically out of the little mermaid, like that scene where they're in a boat, like, you know, he, she basically leads him right into the water. The rest of the party just sees them walk into the water and disappear. The character finds them in the boat in the middle of the lake. And they're just kind of spinning around with all sorts of magical, wonderful shit. You know, I actually joked and, you know, somewhere a crab starts singing (laughs) under the sea. Yeah. 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 And it, it, he got awkward in that situation. And then I had the opportunity to play up. Oh, wait, this isn't, you know, this, this, I'm trying to get into the mind of this NPC. I'm a bajillion years old, but like, I have no social skills. I've got this sort of teenager level kind of high school kid crush on somebody who I've been watching in kind of a creepy way. (laughs) Right. I'm looking for my fairy tale champion and perhaps love that I want to give my heart to and get their heart in return. And how do I impress this person with no experience and skills, despite being a bajillion years old? So it turned into this sort of fairy tale, sort of floating around in a boat in the center. Then it turned into, wait, no, he he was a former escort slash prostitute slash exotic dancer. So then it shifted into this sort of like exotic dance type scene where he was... <laughs> The character was sitting and, and and this lady of the lake was trying to dance around him, but like have a conversation, a normal conversation while it was going on about, 
needing a champion and, and being bound to this lake. And it just turned into this super awkward, but yet super charming kind of thing uh-huh. where ultimately the player is like, you know what? Fuck yeah, I'll be your champion. Oh. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I've, I feel a little bit un- insecure myself because of what's going on with this other character that I have some interest in. Somebody showing me some genuine affection is absolutely awkward and kind of creepy as it is and you know i'm going out of my way to be be overt with it like you know uh-huh. this is cartoonishly creepy not like creepy creepy and uh it's just the kind of character that i've never had a chance to, to to kind of work into my games as of yet i mean that it's a neat it's a neat idea i just going back to the idea of high school i mean is it possible to have a high school crush and not be creepy well like, i'm not sh- I'm not sure it's possible. I don't know. Now, I do know people that, like, eventually married their high school crushes and, Mm -hmm. like, have had long marriages that seem relatively normal. I think that's probably the exception to the rule. Kind of a bit. No, and I'm not talking about, like, it's just, like, because, uh, like, our brains are not really fully formed yet. No, no. The the fact that our brains don't fully finish growing until we're in our mid-20s is still mind-boggling to me. Mm Um, but just the idea that like, I did, cause I, I was, oh man, I was an awkward high schooler, super, super awkward. Like I had no idea how to, I, and I still don't know how to talk to girls and I'm almost 50. Um, but like just some of the ideas that were sort of given to us by the media of the time, especially in the eighties, like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like teenage romance comedies in the eighties were like, this is a manual of how not to do it. Like just, mm-hmm. just watch those movies from the eighties and go don't do that. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, it fits so perfectly, especially because uh, like, no matter how old we are, like we're, when we start role-playing, we kind of role-play our teenage selves. Mm-hmm. It's like, we, we want to step back into those shoes of when we were young and innocent, didn't know anything from anything. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's super neat. It's also, I mean, it's, it's kind of a thing that shows up a lot. Like if you think about it, like that's, that's twilight. Mm-hmm. So, sorry to throw that analogy in there because I mean I know a lot of people hate Twilight. I, I love everybody's the books. fan fiction for everything. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean it's it's Twilight, it's Buffy, um, it's like it's the original Dracula, right? Yeah. Like Dracula falls in love with uh, is it Mina? What is what is the um, oh I don't care. But any Harper. love at first sight, anything like the concept yeah. of love at first sight in general, right? Like, I mean, love, no, lust, sure. No. Mm. You fall in love with somebody by getting to know them and, and actually knowing who they are. Ah, yeah. Man. So anyway, for me as a DM, and I hope for her as a character, like as a player and, and her character, I think it's going to be fun. Like, I'm not going to make a huge deal of it aside from sort of the initial splashy kind of setup. I will certainly let the player decide where they want to go with it. But taking this character that you would think would be worldly based on their backstory, but they're not. Mm -hmm. They have never formed lasting connections with anybody, really. It's important to note that just because you're old doesn't mean that you're mature. Right. And and this this character, the 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 lady of the white well, is the extreme case of this because she is probably thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. This is um, a a, an argument I've heard for the Lord of the Rings TV show, 
Mm. Uh, you know, because in like at this point, it's before before all of the Lord of the Rings stuff in the movies happens, or in the books. Um, you know, and Galadriel is thousands of years old, but she acts kind of immature at times. And like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, she's thousands of years old. She should know better. Yeah. I mean, isn't that sure? But I mean, point to point to anyone in their fifties and sixties and you can find something stupid that they've done and they're old enough. They should know better, but it isn't always yeah, the case. It isn't about your age. Sometimes it's about your experience and, and this, this poor woman sort of bound to this, like she's got no experience. She's trying to have game, but she's got no experience and it's, it was fun. And if nothing else ever comes with it, it just turns into sort of a, a standard sort of patron type thing. I'm fine with that. But for 25 minutes at the end of our session last week, you know, role playing out a, a, a thousand year old or million year old, you know, lady of the lake with a, a boom box above her head, wearing a trench coat in the street in the style of the little mermaid. It was great. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of the little mermaid, why didn't she just actually just write something down to say, blah, blah, blah. I don't have a voice. Let's communicate this way. Then the movie couldn't happen. I would be okay with that. I mean, The Little Mermaid is a fine story, but there's so many plot holes. The moral is good. I, I like the the moral at the end of the story, but but like, there's just there's some some problems there. Yeah. The theme is communication is important. It's true. Yeah. It is true. Well, uh, you want to get into the pod bag? Yeah, let's answer some questions. I'm going to turn off the noise on my phone. got mail uh, <laughs> gets me every time uh, it's time to wrap up the show as we always do with questions from the audience if you'd like to submit your questions hit us up by email podbag at nerdingundertheinfluence.com and we've got a couple more questions from Ian from California this week they're actually good questions the ones we looked at before were good too uh, are you ready uh for questions from Ian, almost never, but hit me anyway. All right. Uh, first question. You have to spend two years in a room where all your basic necessities like food are taken care of. You have no internet connection. What are the three PC or console games that you would bring along with you? Oh, man. Oh, that's a hard one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd want to do something that had lots of replayability. And, like, I almost think... Uh, I think Diablo 2's got to make the list. Just because it's... I mean, it's stupid and it's mindless, but you can just... You can do it forever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, you're not really doing anything new. You're just going through it again. Because, I mean, I still play it. I still, every once in a while, just load it up and go, wow, this looks awful. Let's play some. <sighs> I'm trying to think of anything that I've really gotten a lot of mileage out of over the years. <sighs> With no internet connection, it's tough. Are, are we... Yeah, so let's ignore games like 
let's just talk single player games like ignore the fact that some drm requires you to be connected to the internet well you know can you play this game as a single player yes we'll assume that you can bring it for this exercise yeah um I don't know. I think I'd, I'd want to have like a couple of different genres of game too. So like I've got kind of a, a role play type type thing. Like what's I'm thinking like a sh- there's got to be a shooter that comes along. It wouldn't be Unreal Tournament, no matter how much practice I get. I'm still never beating you. So I just I don't like that. That game doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like the first three Star Wars movies. It happened, but it doesn't. That's we don't acknowledge it. Uh, I, something like like Call of Duty, one of the one of the older uh, Call of Duties, or um, uh, what's the other one that came out? Call of Duty, the original Call of Duty came out, and there was one that was uh, War something, like Medal of Honor. Yeah, Medal of Honor, something like that. Something something old enough that it's it's. Mm. Mm. And I think I'd probably want to bring a third one, something that I've always wanted to finish and never finished, something like like Baldur's Gate. Because hmm. I've never finished it. Like, I know how it ends, but I've never finished it. Yeah, I don't know what I would bring. It's a, it's a funny question, because like, if you're thinking about it ahead of time, it's like, what problems am I attempting to solve with this game selection? I'm looking for something to fill time. I'm looking for something to entertain. Am I looking for something that gives me some sort of facsimile of social interaction? Absolutely like, not. Like, <laughs> right. Like would I want to bring something like a, like a fucking dating simulator or a, like the Sims or something where I can kind of create my own social story around it. I don't know. Uh, I think one cream oh. I would bring would be Minecraft. And, and I know it sounds like a, a, sort of a a shallow selection you know it's a sandbox game you can kind of do anything but the amount of times that i've like played minecraft like back before release and got into doing sort of weird shit and then put the game down and then come back to it a year later and do some more shit and there hasn't been a lot of games like that 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 do it for me i'm in the middle of one now which i'm actually starting my third playthrough of uh satisfactory which is sort of technically a, a factory building game, but it that would be doing it a disservice to call it that. Um, like if I ever want to get that sense of like I'm actually accomplishing something while not actually having to do real work, it's a good game for that. You know, it, it flexes the problem solving muscles. It sort of like if you're kind of person that can lose hours into meticulous like making something exactly the way it needs to be. Like you, you want to be super anal and, and like a perfectionist about something satisfactory is a ga- ga- great game for that. The third game though, I don't know. I think I would it's need tough. something with a good story. Um, saying like Witcher three would probably be a cop out. There's like, there's a there's a trouble though when you think because I was thinking about story games too and there's a problem there in that like once you've gone through the story do you really want to go through it again? So I was trying to avoid things with a story in them because the story is interesting. Once. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess anything that has a branching path for your character might if be there's more an actual difference. Well, yeah, and most of them don't have that. But like, you know what? You're you're two years locked in a room, like superficial difference is enough at this point you're desperate yeah fair 
you know, I don't know that I could do Diablo. Like, I loved Diablo 2 back in the day, but, like, I've never found another game that sort of, like, I don't have that itch anymore. And every time you try to get into Diablo 3, um, uh, try to get into, oh, what is it called? I'm actually playing Diablo 3 right now, going through the new season. Yeah, I can't can't think of the name of the game. Um, I think I know Torchlight? the one that you mean. Torchlight. Yeah, Torchlight well, 2, I think. It was sort of a like a Diablo 2-like, not as, as in-depth or complex as um, Diablo 3, but you know, just the mechanics of like click, 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 click. Uh-huh. I don't... Path of Exile was another one. Yeah. Which I never played. I don't know that I would bring any shooters. No? No. I, I mean, the only reason that they, they made my list is because they're imminently repeatable because there's really... Like there's, it's just the same. It's the same every time. And if you can play it twice, you can play it two hundred times. I, I was thinking about this actually as you're you're bringing this up, and I'm thinking like, why no sports games, right? Like a golf simulator of some kind, like Tiger Woods 2004 would be. Yeah, I mean, there's something that like you know the I mean the objective is just to get better at the game, and you can always get better at it. Yep. So that might be a good choice. I think that the, the the important thing is the repeatability of it. Like, how often can you come back and play it again? And that's the reason Diablo made my list is because, mm-hmm. I mean, people are still playing Diablo 1, and honestly, it feels like a beta. It's like, here's one level. <laughs> Get to the bottom of the temple and kill Diablo. Done. I might play Morrowind. Morrowind had enough meat and there's so much written stuff that you wouldn't normally like it might take you two years to actually play everything in Morrowind and read everything in Morrowind. There's yeah. Or any of the Elder Scrolls games because you just I mean, I had I played through uh, Skyrim part of the way. I mean, I've never even gotten close to Mm -hmm. finishing it, but I I started one playthrough and I'm like, I don't care whatever else I do. I'm going to collect all the books. Yeah, Like, I literally made a library and collected all of the books. Yeah, and the thing with Skyrim, I mean, there's still the book collection stuff, which was great. But, like, uh, Oblivion and Skyrim, once they got into, hey, we're turning this into a fully voice-acted game. Yeah. Like, the character interaction stuff lost a ton of depth. And, yeah. like, don't get me wrong, it's easy, more easy to get immersed in a game like Skyrim than it is to get into something like Morrowind. It takes a special kind of masochistic person like me to really love Morrowind <laughs> and I, I embrace it as the best game in the series still but I think there's enough like text-based meat in that sandwich that like it might take me two years just to get through it all it's not a bad choice yeah it's not a bad choice it's an interesting question it is uh Ian's second question uh and this one is particularly interesting and relevant for me what do you think about using AI bots like chat GPT as an aid for developing D&D campaigns and content. Have either of you done this, or are you looking into it? I don't mean having the bot be the DM. Well, maybe. But more so as a tool for developing characters and dialogue and details around setting and ambience. For me, like, there has to be a sort of an upfront question of, uh, like, how exactly is chat GPT's stuff generated because i'm absolutely certain it's not actually ai it's basically i'm going to search the internet for the answer to your question well yeah i mean it's not searching 
today's internet, but it was trained on, you know, yeah. the internet from a while ago. I mean, it has a, a data set. It's a language model that's sort of derived from that. So I've actually done this, uh, funny really? enough. So I've used it in a couple ways. First of all, I don't think if your approach is, I want to be a DM chat GPT, do the work for me. What should my game not be? Work. That's not going to work. But I've found it useful in a couple of different ways. I can see, I can envision a couple. I just want to jump in because you've got yeah. actual examples. I have a couple of thoughts. And the one is something like, hey, chat GPT, describe a, a tavern to me. Or, uh, you know, des describe a, a Dorvan tavern keeper. You know, and it gives you some some verbiage to go along with that. Because that's one of the things that I find a little bit difficult when I am DMing is, is coming up with, with NPCs kind of on the fly mm -hmm. with, with any kind of, uh, I don't know, depth or detail about them, right? Like and I know who they're supposed to be, but. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the areas where I think we're seeing that stuff being integrated into video games, not so much for writing character dialogue, but a lot of, uh, they call it like barks sort of the, the 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 around the edges character dialogue like you're mm. walking through a street and you've got people talking around you and you know hey that's merchants my goose. shouting shit or you know whatever yeah it's being used to write some stuff like that and i think it does a reasonable job there yeah it's random stuff mm -hmm. now i haven't used it specifically to look for descriptions of, of characters i've actually used it in a couple of different ways that are probably not what you think of when you would think of using it for D D. Uh, the first thing I've used it for is brainstorming. Like being a DM, especially a forever DM, is inherently lonely because most of the stuff that you're doing, you kind of need to hold close to the chest. You can't just go talk to your players and say, so I'm thinking about this as an arc, you know? Uh -huh. And the neat thing about how ChatGPT works, you know, just as a tool and, and how it's sort of contextual and you can sort of have ongoing conversations with it to, to narrow down stuff. And it sort of looks at the context of your whole conversation before doing its next response. Back just as an experiment, when we were running our campaign and, and we kind of got into this whole street gang thing that I didn't expect to kind of turn into anything, but it sort of did. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, I've got a couple ideas for where I can go, but I'm really not satisfied with them. Let me open up ChatGPT because it literally launched the day I was doing prep. And I oh. signed up for an OpenAI account and uh, went in and I started having a conversation with it. Not, what should I do with my campaign? It was a bunch of me saying, here's what I've done so far for my campaign characters have done this they've got involved with this gang who has this leader and has done this things and then i asked it what interesting directions could i take this that players might find enjoyable just to get sort of alternative prompts like you know when you have a conversation and you're brainstorming with a person like most of the best ideas come almost accidentally out of you say something that gets my mind going in a different direction that it wouldn't have otherwise we should use helicopters right but often when you're prepping as a DM, you don't have that. Yeah. So chat GPT gave me a person to talk to. 
and it helped spur some ideas. Some of the ideas it had were good that I wouldn't even have thought of that I then rounded out myself a little bit more about, you know, okay, well, we've got these competing street gangs and and maybe have this one gang leader make them an offer to betray the other gang. And if they do it, then you could go this way. And if they don't, you could go this way. And I'm like, fuck yeah. The other place I've used it, um, and I've used it a little bit in both of my campaigns now, is when you have an NPC that you want to be a caricature of somebody else, right? Like you have a, a person in mind where it's like, going back to your campaign, I would say, okay, have this person say this in the exaggerated style of Werner Herzog. <laughs> and all of a sudden you have the the mediator or fist from our campaign talking about, you know, uh, Fist being a, 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 a you know a, a leader in a predator in this urban jungle and stuff like that where it's like I know what I want this guy to sound like but like it'll take me seventeen years to craft <laughs> you know and I don't write a bunch of dialogue but I like to to create like when I have an NPC that's going to be important in one session or two sessions I'd like to try and establish some dialogue prompts so if the yeah. conversation goes this way this is a kind of gist of what this character might say the conversation goes this way. This is what they might say. So I used chat GPT for some of Fist's dialogue where it was very much meant to be a cartoonish version of Werner Herzog uh, as a gang leader <laughs> for the Crimson Hand in, in my city. And I mean, I, I, I never used any of it verbatim, but it's just like, oh, I really like that turn of phrase. Oh, I like that that style, that, that sort of cadence, let me massage it a little bit. And the neat thing is it was a time saver, right? Because it is the dialogue yeah. cues that may never get used. So, right. and you don't want to write all those out. Right. Remind me again who Werner Herzog is. Cause I should know. And I've, I'm having trouble. Bringing so he's it to primarily mind. a filmmaker. He's been an actor in a lot of movies too, but he's the, 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 uh, German heritage uh, guy that everybody makes fun of. He's the one that's always talking, uh, you know, it's almost doom and gloom kind of thing. Uh, was he in the Mandalorian? Was that him? Yes, he was in the Mandalorian. Okay. The, the, yeah. I want to see the baby. Yeah. I know he, who you're talking he played, about. Now. Uh, what was the guy's name uh, in the, the Jack Reacher movie? The first one. He's been oh. in a lot of stuff. Um Anyway, Jack Reacher movie is sort of exercised from my brain. Yeah, it was all right. It was okay. Circling back. The TV TV show was better. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. Honestly, you know, Tom Cruise is not a great actor, but like I can watch him run. Sure. You know, choose some scenery and, and, you know, I'm never feeling like I'm wasting my time. It's fine. Yeah. 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 He makes good popcorn movies. There's no doubt about that. Tom Cruise is great when he's playing that character that Tom Cruise is good at playing. Jack Reacher wasn't it. No, no, no. But you know what? Eh, still, it's still, it going back to the thing you said at the beginning of the show, it's okay for something to be just fine. Yeah. It's, you fine. Know, it's a movie that like, I've even gone back and watched multiple times. Cause it's like, you know what? I've got time on my hands. Let me fill it with uh, something that uh, isn't oh, terrible. God, what? What's what's the name of the female lead in that movie? Uh, the first movie? Yeah. Was there's uh, more than Rosamund, one? Well, no, the first movie was Rosamund Pike who played like yes. the, the lawyer. 
Yeah. The second movie was, um, oh, what's her name? I did not realize there was a second Jack Reacher movie. There was a second movie, and it was actually pretty okay, too. You know? Okay. Rosamund uh, Pike is worth watching in that first movie. Yeah, she's the amazing. second one has, um, oh, my God, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Uh, How I Met Your Mother, the, the Canadian girl. Uh, she played um, one of the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents in, in most of the Marvel movies. Oh, um, um yes right on the tip of my tongue oh colby smolders yes uh she's in the second movie playing basically the person who had jack reacher's job when he was still in the military okay i think i might have actually seen that yeah and uh, it's unfortunately quite forgettable yeah it was all right they can't they can't they can't all be oscar winners i mean come on no you have anything else you want to talk about today um, I have an idea and I'm not sure how far this is going to go, but I, I kind of want to do a thing where, and I, yeah, I, I don't know, like, yeah, well, I need some booze. Um, I have this idea where I want to read stories on YouTube and I have no idea if it's, if it's doable, if it's been done, but just, just the idea of just sort of sitting down and, and reading a story recording myself reading a story and uh, do you remember uh way back when we were kids sometimes they would do things on like mr dress up where they would read a story and you would see an illustration and then it would be like here's the next part of the story and they'd flip mm-hmm. the page and there's a new illustration something like that something without like a whole lot of visual input but just here's a story yeah you've talked about like wanting to do a radio serial style kind of thing yeah. um now there's one that uh, i haven't watched or listened to that critical role the the parent company just bought the rights to that was supposed to be good it was on my list of things to to go back and and watch and i never did it was all taken offline and now they're releasing sort of the first season of it again i think weekly or something like that so i'll have to give it a go um funny enough uh had a had a conversation uh probably a year back another one of my hey let's here's a business idea let's explore it to the point where we got to actually do work and then never do it again uh-huh. uh, i was talking about it with uh, ian from california actually <laughs> um of doing something similar except uh instead of putting it on youtube it was basically going to be reading stories for um like the call map have you ever experimented with or seen commercials for those sort of like asmr kind of like help you go to sleep relax you kind kind of of stuff yeah uh either doing user submitted short stories or um stuff that's now in creative commons or stuff like that you know like you can you know uh, the technology stack is obviously where where i would excel but it's you can hire people to do the the reading and dictation at a fairly reasonable rate um, started a prototyping and then put it down. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I just, I want to, I just want to read stuff, you know, and I don't, I don't exactly know why it would, first of all, it would give me an excuse to read a bunch of stuff. Cause I was thinking about reaching back into the stuff that has now become, um, in the public domain, you know, mm-hmm. like older, older fiction type stuff. Uh, I recently started reading, uh, Kurt Vonnegut's, uh, mm-hmm work it's been recommended to me like thousands of times and i've never read it and i started reading it and i'm like oh boy because i'm starting with like i started at the beginning and i'm reading you know stuff he wrote in the 50s and 
the amount of stuff that he that is is sort of predictive of things that have, are happening today is frightening. But it's written in a very 1950s style, which I used to love, and I'm having a hard time getting back into. But one of the reasons that I want to do it is because it will give me an excuse to actually start reading something, which I haven't done for years. Yeah, I don't read anywhere near as much as I should anymore. I used to read so much. Yeah, now, me too. It was not, you know, it was never anything great. Like It was a lot of fantasy and, and, and not even good fantasy, like the the sort of... Oh, pulp. All pulp. Yeah, the kind of like, even like David Drake and stuff that was like, you can tell this guy had one month to write this book, and then he <laughs> had a contract to write 17 more books in the next two years, you know? Yeah. Joanne Burton and Tanya Huff. And... I love Tanya Huff's work. Yeah. I haven't read a lot of her stuff, but uh, the stuff I did read when I was younger, I liked. And that's been sort of the big problem with me re-exploring. Like, I go back and read my David, David Edding stuff every year or two. But uh, uh, going back and rereading a lot of the books that I actually have physical copies for now, it's just like, wow, this is, I see it the way I think other people saw it back then and I didn't. Sort of juvenile, formulaic. Sure. Sometimes it's but... still feel-good stuff, but it's... Yep. Yeah, I, I really, there's a lot of um, Tanya Huff's work. I really enjoy Elizabeth Moon's work. I don't think I've um, read her. I think, I think that she's the one who wrote a book called Paxinarian's Tale, um, which was a sort of interesting, sort of late 80s, early 90s kind of, um, like, it's a, it's a story with a strong female lead who isn't there because of a man right which was a really interesting perspective for me at the time right because of course as a teenage boy i'm like i have no idea what women think yeah i still don't have any idea what women think but i do know that i don't know what women think and that's that's, that's a big difference though yeah yeah it's 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 progress but i mean like it was just it was interesting to read a story where it's like okay this this is a woman who does what she wants because it's what she wants and yeah there are men in the story but they're just there right because there's other people in the story so and I, like that's my recollection of the story it's been many years now since i read it so it's entirely possible that i've gotten all of it wrong hmm. but I, I remember it being pretty good well we're just gonna have to start an official nerding under the influence book club yeah let's do that so if you're listening and have any recommendations send them along pod back yeah. nerding under the influence.com can't and... promise we'll read them but we'll read your email <laughs> yeah we might read the book and then go man that was why did oh god maybe we should shut this down before it starts <laughs> uh, well i think that's a good place to end it i think thanks for spending some time with me today man we'll see yeah, you next week uh, it was it was a lot of fun we'll see you next week roll that outro Bye. Bye.